My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Hi, and welcome to the KingCast, a podcast that digs deep into both the written and cinematic worlds created by Stephen King. I'm Eric Vespi, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Wampler. Hey, hi, Scott. There he is. I should have waited for you to say hello. I I did leave that that empty space for you to fill, though, so so, so it's definitely not your fault. Uh, Well, partially your fault, partially my fault. We'll take blame. We'll we'll share the blame. Yes. (laughs) We'll share it all. Uh, So our guest today is Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, You know, Kumail is a wonderful comedian, actor, and writer who was nominated for an Academy Award for his script, which he co-wrote with Emily V. Gordon for The Big Sick. Uh, He may have lost his Oscar to Jordan Peele, but at least he was able to win Holly Hunter, a Career Achievement Award, at the Palm Springs International Film Festival. Kumail also won Hearts and Minds of Geeks Everywhere as Dinesh on Silicon Valley. He was a podcast innovator. Everybody had a podcast uh, (laughs) with The Meltdown back in the day and currently runs a coronavirus-related podcast with his wife, Emily, called Staying In with Emily and Kumail. You should listen to it. It's awesome. Uh, Kumail can next be seen in The Lovebirds premiering on Netflix May 22nd. Is that right? That's correct. Great. Cool. That's coming up soon. Um, And it can't go without saying that... uh, uh, Kumail, you also recently took the internet by storm with your beefcake superhero bod shirtless pictures. This is correct. Uh, yep. Uh, his And uh, your newfound uh, daddy status is the uh, result of the training for Marvel's The Eternals, which is coming to theater screens next February, uh, if the world's still uh, here, of course. Um, and that should be it for the intro. How are you doing, Kumail? I'm good. Daddy status. I'll take that. Daddy how, has life, how has your life changed since achieving daddy status? Not much, except, you know, obviously never been called daddy status before. Other than that, mm-hmm. pretty much the same I'm finding in my normal life, being a little bit stronger doesn't really change anything. Are you still struggling with jars? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really? I mean, I don't well, understand. We're just fucked then. Yeah. I am definitely... <laughs> I know I'm physically stronger because I can lift more weight than I used to, but it's literally just the motions I can do. So if I lay down and you put like a table in my hands, I can move it up, move it up and down a few times. That's like the only way I'm stronger. So you can lift more jars of pickles, but you can't open them easier. That's correct. That's precisely what I was picturing. That's exactly if if they're like hung at the end end of a barbell. Yes, I can lift more pickle jars. If they're just like in pickle jar form, I could probably lift the same amount that I could two years ago. And in my mind, the bar is actually bending under the weight of the pickles. It's a lot of lot of pickle jars, guys. A lot of pickle jars. Yeah, which is a perfect segue uh, from pickles to Stephen King. Uh, What are your um, what's your history with King? Like, where did you? kind of first discover king and like what what were the what was the thing that hooked you and and uh into this crazy world i feel like i've been aware of king my whole life obviously that can't be true but ever since i can remember i've been a fan of kings and i think it was uh the it miniseries might have been the first thing i ever watched that was something that i Definitely loved, watched over and over a bunch of times. All my cousins were into it. We were all into it. 
So definitely watched that a whole bunch. I remember I read it back then when I was like about that age. I was like, all right, I'm going to read this book. And it, and it really, really obviously terrified me. Then I remember there was a movie of his adapted into a movie called Sleepwalkers, right? A book of his? Yes. Uh, I yes. think that was an original, original story, yeah, was that he it? wrote. Yeah. For the screen. But yeah, for the screen, for McGarris, yeah. I remember these are the big... Stephen King spikes in my life. First is it, huge spike. Then this movie Sleepwalkers. I'm like, I want to watch a horror movie. My my parents, me and my brother sit down and watch. And very early on, what seems like a mother and what seems like a son <laughs> start making out. And my mom said, I don't want to watch this movie anymore. And I said, yes, that's a good call, mom. And we never watched it. No, you, you grabbed her by the hand and said, don't leave yet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I really wanted you to see this movie, Mom. I'm trying to tell you something here. <laughs> oh my God. So that was that was a spike. That was a negative spike. The next negative spike <laughs> happens when so I hear about this movie coming out and everything I've seen of it looks amazing. It's also got a Super Nintendo video game coming out. Mm. And the movie and the game are called Lawnmower Man. I remember the difference between expectation and actuality of the lawnmower man movie is probably this that's probably the biggest difference to this day i've encountered in my life in terms of how excited i was for it and how not excited i was watching it imagine how shocked stephen king was (laughs) yeah well then i read his i read that story many years later and i was like oh this has nothing to do with that movie um so to this point i would say you know, my wife, Emily, has read literally every single Stephen King thing. She didn't read the most recent thing, but she's read up until, um, what was the last one? Outsider? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's read well, up until yeah. Outsider. She hasn't read the thing after that. I have read It, The Stand, Salem's Lot. I've read a bunch of his short story collections. I've read Skeleton Crew. I've read Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I've read, um, I can't remember, I've read um, On Writing, obviously. I thought that that oh, yeah. was really very good so i've read you know probably seven or eight of his books i would say yeah well we originally when we started talking about uh having you on the podcast like the initial conversation was you and emily both coming on uh to talk about it and i hope that uh whenever you guys get a little less uh busy that that uh, you guys will come back on together to do that um i'm especially uh curious to hear emily go into that considering her background with child psychology you know and, and uh you know her her relationship to the story and also how to kind of read into a lot of the uh, crazier aspects yeah she's actually talked to me about the crazier aspects of it and i think she's such a stephen king fan that um she's sort of on board for all of it so that'll that will be interesting nice. that'll be a fun just, conversation you just set aside nine ten hours and we'll get through that thing <laughs> You know? yes. yeah. and I that's read, not to read that'll just get you for, through the first uh, third of the book yeah um i reread it recently by that i mean probably right before the first movie came out right um that was the that was the last time i read it it's good stuff but that's not what you're here to talk about today we we kind of settled on uh the running man which is one uh that you hadn't read uh before this correct and yeah, I'd never read The Running Man until until I read it for this. I think yeah. we should point out just really quick, because, you know, this is 
being planned as the first episode. And some people may have ignored instructions and not listened to the episode zero that we recorded. The bit here is that the guest gets to pick whichever property we're going to talk about. So Kamel has chosen the running man, which is, which is very exciting. I just want to interject that real quick and, in case it was unclear to anyone. Yeah, we sort of went back and forth on a few, and then we sort of landed on Running Man. I got a little overwhelmed because I do like so many of his, uh, so many of his works, you know. And then there were some that, I Running Man is a movie. Again, obviously saw the movie first when I was a kid when <clears> it first came out. Huge Arnold fan. That was my entry point to Running Man. And this mo- this movie was another sort of spike in my Stephen King journey because the movie made me feel really fucking weird. Um, I-, I remember it making me feel really fucking weird, like it was the first time that I'd sort of seen satire like that, and it mm-hmm. and I and it sort of like messed with me, and I and I understood it, but I didn't like how it made me feel, and I hadn't <laughs> seen it since then, so I was curious to revisit it. Nice. So you've revi- you revisited that, I assume, uh, recently as well. You watched the movie, and yeah, I watched the movie yesterday. Are we going to talk about the movie first or the story first? What do you want to do? We should talk about the story first. Um, but yeah. I think that we're all fairly similar. I, I doubt that many of us were uh, were picking through uh, Richard Bachman uh, paperbacks, you know, first. I think all of us saw the the movie uh, and then uh, discovered discovered the uh, uh, the tie into to Stephen King. Uh, later right uh, but yeah we should absolutely start with the book first because the book and the movie are have very little to do with each other um the the book is very much more of a uh, most dangerous game riff right where it's it's not like these crazy wrestlers <laughs> you know doing <laughs> d- doing you know insane hunts it's you know just dudes with rifles you know hunting hunting the uh the people and uh, it is definitely more somber and something that should be noted that, you know, this was the, the last, um, paperback book released as Richard, Richard Bachman, which was the last of the, uh, initial batch of, of, uh, Bachman stories that King released. Um, the only Bachman story that he wrote after the pseudonym was established was thinner. Um, you know, later on he released a couple, uh, a couple more stories, but like in that first batch, uh, Thinner was the only one that he was Stephen King writing as Richard Bachman. And all the other ones that were released as Richard Bachman were uh, things that he had written in his uh, uh, youth, like in college. Um, and so and to me, this uh, running man definitely feels in terms of his writing, it feels that way. It feels kind of he's like more edge lordy. You know, he's there's a oh, lot yeah. more like racism and violence and pulpy. <laughs> You know, pulpy stuff on on display. uh, Someone's face uh, looked Chinese with disappointment. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Little things like like that. That's like on page one or something. Here we go. (laughs) Uh, You know, so it's definitely, you can definitely see the, and I think he described later that, you know, he wrote it, you know, as an angry young man. And that, you know, if you read a lot more of his Bachman stuff, you know, that kind of comes through. Uh, but yeah, so your your impressions are are uh, of the story compared to what you've read with uh, uh, of King stuff. Well, one I noticed it does already. It's impressive. I didn't know how early he had written it. He already sounds like Stephen King. There's a way of that Stephen King writes that I find very comfortable because I've been reading him my whole life, and it's already he's got that way of writing the sentence structure. So immediately. 
you know, just in reading it, I hadn't read a Stephen King book probably, you know, since I read it most recently a couple of years ago. As soon as I started reading it, I, I, I was like, oh, wow, I am reading this guy I love again. I, 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 so I like that. I also thought that the story. So when, what year would this move, would this book have been written then? I don't have that in front of me. It would have been probably I early seventies. It would have oh, been. It good. was uh, nineteen eighty-two. Well, I gotta say, well, was that the release or was that when it was written? Uh, first published. Yeah. That, no. He. Yeah. He wrote it in, in college, though. So th- I think that would have been early seventies. Oh, okay. So Here, let me give you another. Let me throw another number at you. Do uh, it. I don't have another number. Let's move on. Um, what <laughs> Just I, say nineteen. Yeah, he was. So he, yeah. the book is very prescient about uh, our reliance on TV and our worship of celebrities and all that stuff. It really felt like something that could have been written today. So I was really impressed by. Uh, I was really impressed by it. Honestly, I mean, I, it, it's uh, obviously there is some edge lordy stuff, as you said. You sort of wince at some of it, but I was really, I was genuinely impressed. At, at how satirical and how savage it was, you know, you you really felt the anger coming through the uh, through the words in this thing. Oh yeah, there's a for sure damn the man, you know, feel to this whole this whole thing, and also like he, you know, the thing more than even uh, figuring out, you know, how what reality TV would essentially become, right. you know, way before it happened. Uh, there's also he's he's very prescient about. Uh, environmental things oh, and how yeah, well ahead it, of the curve on that yeah and and how the environment's you know pollution is is killing us all essentially and and that that is like the the source of the sickness in this dystopian world is all uh is all this uh unregulated you know uh, industry that's polluting everything and everybody's getting sick and that's what's like dividing the 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 rich and the poor is yeah and that's another big thing right the haves and the have-nots the the sort of the class divide which now in pop culture sort of had a resurgence you know with parasite and a bunch of other stuff obviously it's something that yeah hunger games and hunger games hunger games yeah it's all on people's minds right now but his big three things that this the big three sort of themes of the book, as you said, the um, the the reality TV stuff, our reliance on that, um, our worship of celebrity and all that, our uh, and voyeurism, uh, environmentalism, and the wealth disparity. All of these are major, massive issues right now. Well, yeah, and, well, and, and sorry, I keep feel like I keep like interjecting and not letting Scott talk, but uh, I do want to throw in real quick. Um, uh, with the the haves and haves and have nots, what's incredibly effective about the book to me is just how the haves all are using incentivizing the poor to turn on each other and to leave them alone. That's like the entire entirety, uh, the reason of for the game show network. Uh, it's it's uh, and especially the Running Man show, you know, because uh, not unlike in the movie, you know, here they just let. Uh, let you know their two people loose uh, in the country, and then they incentivize people to call in if they spot them. And if you call in with a, an ID, you get a hundred, a hundred new bucks. You get a hundred, you know, this new currency, and <laughs> right. you know, right? And, yeah. uh, and if you identify them, that leads to a kill. They get a thousand bucks, and so you know, nobody's safe anywhere because the rich want to turn them in because they're the the other the poor and then the the poor want to turn them in because they desperately need the money. Yeah. Right. In the future they have incentivized narc behavior. 
basically. Yes. yes. And they've turned into a game show. You know, being a bootlicker and a narc is, you know, can uh, can get you, pull you out of par- poverty. So you don't end up like Ben Richards, whose who's wife is turning tricks uh, on like yeah. page two or something. She, yes. She's talking yeah. about and she's begging to please let me turn tricks. That's my, yeah. you know, that's my <laughs> thing like, with, with. All right, that's fine. You can turn one more <laughs> trick, but that's it. And then on top of that, he's like, he kind of surveys the situation. It's like the kid is sick. The, my my wife is getting turned out like a light on a on a regular basis. <laughs> uh, Got to go on the running man, and she's like, well, uh, okay. And then he's like, all right, I'm out of here. And then that's it, like. That happens within the first like three or four pages of the story. And then there's like 20 pages of him getting through the actual process of getting onto the show. It seems like King is very, he, well, he's just like very disinterested in the, the familial element of it. You know, it's just the the process is more interesting to him. Right. It makes sense because, because of how old he was, I assume he wasn't married or anything. So that stuff and having a kid, like he doesn't know what that feels like. But, you know, there's like, it's interesting. You're right. There's like many, many pages of like bureaucracy that this Ben Richards guy has to jump through. That's really, he goes into a lot of detail with every single step of that whole thing. I actually kind of like that, though. I mean, because to me, that was like underlining, you know, that was definitely, that was his transition. That was him walking through the looking glass, right? That's him transitioning into this this uh, new world out of the slums and like floor by floor as he's, you know, progressing through the right. the weeding out system is, you know, he's getting to the point where, you know, he can move to the other side. And, uh, you know, I actually really like that section, you know, a lot more than I, I remembered. Um, Cause I, my memories of reading it, you know, uh, uh, in my youth was, was, uh, was kind of bored. Like I'm bored. Let's get to the, the hunting and chasing and, and the fun stuff that I knew was coming. Uh, you know, of course I think I read it expecting, uh, you know, buzzsaw and, you know, dynamo and all these dynamo. people to, to be, po- to, to, to be popping up. And I'm just like, Oh, it's just, uh, you know, boring, boring dudes with, with rifles. <laughs> okay. That's how it is. Um, but, well, you're, uh, but you're no. right. The other thing that it sets up, Eric, that you is we're sort of entering the world of, a world where all these people are like gonna basically narc on him and kill him. And, and, you know, we're, as you said, he's going to the other side and the other side, that world is, it's not, it's, it's, it's so different from our world that the more he can ground it with bureaucracy going into that, I think the more real it feels once we're there. Oh, for sure. Uh, did I you think guys that's know- true, but I also think it's like, it's symptomatic of, you know, as you already pointed out, it's, it's symptomatic of like a really young writer, like a, a kid is writing this thing and he's, he's reveling in the, in the, the world building of it. Uh, as a reader, I enjoy those details. Like I, I like the bureaucracy of the future world and I like how, you know, ridiculous it all is. I don't really care about the family, you know, I, I don't. So, so I'm fine <laughs> with that. But like, but looking back at like reading it now, um, to me, it's, it's majorly symptomatic of, of Bachman. And this is kind of why I don't like King very much when he's writing as Bachman. It just Richard Bachman is just Stephen King in a leather jacket with an eye patch, you know, and he's like he's he's trying to be like real tough. Like, I don't Stephen King's not a tough guy. Um, Richard Bachman (laughs) was like a hard ass motherfucker, you know. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's Stefan Urkel. Yeah, he's got like permanent five o'clock shadow and he smells like whiskey. Like like I know that guy. 
Um, but it's not, it's not Stephen King. And, and I can't read any Bachman without getting that feel. Thinner is the only one that I feel is, is technically more, more King than Bachman. I think yeah. people would fight me on that, but um, that's my, that's my Richard Bachman rant. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, uh, uh, but speaking of like King flourishes, did you notice that Derry is uh, name checked oh, in the book? I did know yeah. That, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Big time. So what well, question, how long did he get away as Bachman before people figured it out? It was 85. I think when he was, uh, when he was figured out, it was, it was not right long. when uh, thinner was, was about to be published. Three Maybe years, five okay. years. Yeah. Like not long at all. Okay. Okay. And he seemed like weirdly chipper about it. It was just like, yeah, you got me. All right. Yep. <laughs> Back to business. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it, but it is interesting how, how different if you, you know, if you read um, any of the other ones, I would, uh, or if you haven't, I would highly recommend uh, The Long Walk, which to me is the better version of that the story. Good. Yeah, I like that. Th- that he's so telling. It's all it's, walking and running and all the jumping. All, well, it's all walking. It, it's it's uh, it's like The Walking Man instead of The Running Man. <laughs> um, you know, but it's uh, it's a similar, you know, dystopian future. The, the poor are distracted by watching this live event, and the event it, are these kids they're like teenagers like a hundred of them start this this walk and uh uh, if they stop walking you know they get a warning uh if they fall below four miles per hour they get a warning and if they get three warnings in i think an hour they get shot on site and the whole thing is televised and um you know and there's like people lining the roads for the entire thing and it's following this one kid you know, very much like Ben Richards here, who's down on his luck, you know, his, they need the money at the end of it, you're granted whatever, whatever you want, you know, so it's a similar, you know, end prize, uh, kind of deal, but you know, these clicks start forming in the walk and there are people that, you know, start sabotaging other people. There are people that band together to try to get through it, knowing full well that only one person can, cause it's the last person standing. Uh, it's, it's a great story. It is, I think, the strongest of the Bachman stories and rereading running man. I was like, just struck cause I read a uh, long walk again recently. And I was like, this is running man is the more pulpy version of uh, the long walk. And so it, it's, it's weird how, how he repeated himself with, within the same. It's he obviously was a college kid. Didn't have money. was like, I wish I could do something to get money, but the world yeah. sucks. They'd make me probably like, walk until everyone else is dead and he was like oh my god that's it <laughs> yes <laughs> i was gonna make a joke that you know with the walking running thing that the if bachman fi- finished out the triptych it would be the standing woman but then i realized since it's bachman it would be like the standing mother of three uh, yeah who is also a hooker <laughs> yeah and the she's the pimp. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah and somebody in the story would refer to her as the black Oh, yeah, geez. there's uh, there's uh, there's some of that in this, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, and and uh, some of the way he was writing the the uh, black characters in the the story are a bit, um, I don't know, uh, minstrelly. Uh, Stephen King has always been awkward with race. I mean, yeah. he just yeah. is. He is. He's he's awkward with race in the same way that he's awkward with with sex scenes. You know, mm. it's, just, it's clumsy, and it's like he wants to be doing it, but. And he knows what it sounds like, but also it just like kind of thuds 
and you're like, ah, fuck, you know, there is a world of difference between this and like Dick Halloran and the shining though, you know, it's, oh, so for it's, sure. Well, yeah, he's writing Bachman, you know, this is his alter. Yeah, that's true. It's more of Bachman's problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Stephen we'll so, yeah. So we should talk a little bit about the ending. Uh, most, most Bachman stories end bleakly and this is no uh, exception. Um, so I'm kind of glad the movie didn't end this way because the story ends with uh, uh, Ben Richards crashing a plane into a yeah. uh, a New York skyscraper. Yeah, he 9-11s uh, it. Yeah, um, <laughs> which which by the way, we're, I'm going to have to circle around on it because there's there's something I want to talk talk about on the movie relating the 9-11 too, which is insane. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I'm very. I, I remember when I got there, I'm just like, oh yeah, oh shit. <laughs> it's like mm, yeah that's a little bit of a of a bummer i didn't yeah. reread the book for this i um i i listened to the the audio version of it my wife and mm-hmm. i did and uh she had never she had never read the running man and is is not a fan of the movie i can tell you that uh but <laughs> that, that movie drove her out of the living room last night but uh, so we started listening to this, and at the beginning of the Bachman books, there's an intro that was written, you know, years later by Stephen King. You know, so we're listening to the audio book, and it's it's it starts off with that intro, and right off the bat, he starts talking about the Running Man and says, you know, and at the end when Richard like crashes a fucking jet into the tower, and she was like, what the fuck? So it spoiled the whole end of the <laughs> the whole uh, end of the book for her. Um, so that's something that we're going to have to ultimately address with, with Stephen King when we get him so on the show. I assume that this, it's okay to do spoilers, right? We assume that oh, the yeah. listeners have heard this. I thought the moment when he finds out that his wife and kid are dead on that plane, yeah. I, I, it, it really hit me. Like I kind of like stopped reading at that point for a second because I was actually very affected by it because even though, you know, his wife and his, obviously his kid is so little, but, but the wife isn't like a fully developed character, you do get the sense that he feels like, you know, that he like owes them something. Um, and you don't really know much about her, but, but his like single-minded determination in my head, I sort of attribute it to his like love for his wife or whatever. And so when that happened, I really felt his pain. Like, to me, that was the most affecting. Obviously, it's designed to be the most affecting moment in that story. But, but it really definitely hit me. I couldn't concentrate during that stretch because he kept describing the guy's intestines falling out of him. Like, over and over again. It came up, like, three fucking times. So whatever, whatever amount of emotional charge that moment would have had, uh, I think, was lost on me. Because yeah, well, the I mean, sausagey, ropey, and it's <laughs> he's very vivid, very vivid writer. That Richard Bachman, <laughs> Richard Bachman knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, but no, Camille, you're right. Um, even though we don't get to know the family very well uh, as readers, that is the driving force for this character. And and you're told early on that that he carries a lot of guilt for um, being unemployed. He's out of work, and the reason why they can't afford medicine and and the reason why she's turning tricks and all that is because he's not finding work. And if he gets a job, you know, he's very anti um, authority. So, you know, he always challenges his bosses, gets fired. So, you know, he's been unemployed. I think they say in the book for like two or three years before he decides to go, you yeah. know, try, try to be on the show. So he's doing all this out of a feeling of, of, uh, of guilt and a feeling that you're right, that he owes the family something and his life doesn't really mean anything. So if he goes on and, 
you know, happens to die or get maimed if he's on one of the lesser shows or whatever, then that doesn't matter as long as his, you know, he can finally provide for his family. And then at the end, you know, they go, oh, yeah, they, you know, the family, you know, was murdered. And I think they even say the family was murdered like 10 days ago. Yeah. Very early on. And that was, and so his family died like before, while he was in the holding before even going on the run. So he was, his motivation for staying alive the entire time, uh, was gone and he didn't know it, you know, right, which is a hell of exactly. a gut punch. Yeah. yeah. The other thing about Ben Richards is that he's a fucking asshole and he's been oh, an yeah, asshole. So. He like sexually harasses a woman in one of the, you know, in the beginning, like she's interviewing yeah. him or something. He and, smacks her ass. And, <laughs> yeah. He's like, so like monstrous to her. And in his head, that's like, you know, it's, that's how he's exer- exerting his power over her. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, and just he's like a he's like a piece of shit, and and that's the kind of guy that can sort of get through something like this, right? Because in all these movies with dystopian futures and sort of these weird sports challenges like Hunger Games, you mentioned the victory is never winning the tournament, right? The victory is taking down the system, right? And so that's what I thought. You know, I wanted a bit more of a concrete and conclusive ending than just him flying the plane into the building, because I'm like, oh, they can. The show keeps going. He doesn't like bring down society. I would have liked it if he'd somehow banded together with like the the smart kid who um, who him and his brother like help him through for a for a stretch of the book. It yeah. would have been good if that had sort of come together in some sort of way into a more concrete rebellion, even if it had just started. Because to me, you know, Ben Richards felt like a guy who was sort of like a lone wolf kind of guy, does things his own way, obviously. As you guys said, he's anti-authoritarian, doesn't work well with it, with others. So it would have been good at the end if somehow he had worked with those people to to do something more than just stupidly fly a plane into a building. Like To me, that's a the Ben Richards at the beginning of the book and the Ben Richards at the end of the book are not that different. That guy right. on page one would have flown a plane into a building, and on the last page, he does fly a plane into a building. Mm. Do you think if Stephen King, excuse me, Richard Bachman, uh, were to write this now, do you think it would play out the same way? Because I think the Stephen King of today would take more of that approach. I would hope so. And he would at the very least say that the guy's face looked Asian American with disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact that, you know, something worth pointing out as as we transition into the... Uh, to the, the the movie side of this is that the Ben Richards of the book looks nothing like the Ben Richards of the movie. Like as described in the book, what I picture is essentially a gigantic Steve Buscemi, you know, <laughs> he's six and a half something foot tall, but he's like very gaunt and sallow and sort of like, you know, rings around his eyes. You know, he, he, uh, he seems weak. Which also lends a different light to those early scenes where he's, you know, kind of talking tough and like slapping ladies on the ass. Like this guy, this fucking, this weaselly sort of, he's kind of a, he's kind of a weakling. He's kind of just, he's kind of, I picture a junkie, you know, when, with the book, whereas in the movies, well, he's Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
Yeah, you know, who looks very junkie-like, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, he definitely Aust- looks strung Austrian, out all the Austrian time. junkies, are, they, they keep up with them themselves, you know. They don't let it all go to waste. Well, so it's interesting. This era of, you know, going into the movie side of things, this era of Schwarzenegger movies, uh, I think he did this right before, right after Predator. Um, you know, and so he was coming off of that kind of commando, uh, Predator, you know, quippy uh, thing. Um Cool boy. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, but what what's interesting is that this, um, like uh, when he did Total Recall, you know, that it's a very similar thing in that that book has, or that movie and the book don't share a lot in common. Um, and like, I know for Total Recall, the original choice for the lead was Richard Dreyfuss. Um, and to what? play more of that, m- more of that, because he was, yeah, he was supposed to be, because in the book, it's more of an everyman kind of. Yeah, sure. And I mean, that's, well, that's what Philip K. Dick, right? You know? And what? Arnold was going to be a Jaws, right? <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, well, he was going to be the shark. You've got. Um, to, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to correct the guest, but you've got it confused. He was in. He was in Close Encounters and was going to storm the ship at the end. And oh yeah, that's right. Rip some heads off. Yeah, yeah, with the machine gun. Um, yeah, but but what was interesting? Like tips. What was interesting here? Um, it's a very similar thing where they needed more of a. If they wanted to be truer to the the story, it would have been a more kind of everyman kind of guy. And like the names that were bandied about before Schwarzenegger were Patrick Swayze, and and then the most interesting. And I'm I like in an alternate universe where this was the pick, uh, it would be the most fascinating thing in the world. Christopher Reeve. Oh, can, can you imagine like like still like mid Superman you know <laughs> saga? Um- Honestly, I can imagine that. I can't imagine Richard Dreyfus involved in this, though. That, well, Richard uh, Dreyfus was it was was for a Total Recall. Oh fuck! I'm sorry. No, well, okay. So 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 was this like so this was like a big budget movie? Well, he, what, what's really interesting, and this is all stuff I didn't know until the, the thing I pulled out. I couldn't. Uh, the only way to see the streaming is on Stars, I believe, through Hulu. Uh, and I didn't have a subscription of that, so I like kind of dusted off my old DVD that I have uh, for this, and it has it's like made. For, it was a two disc collector's edition from Artisan, yeah, you know, from the early glory days where every title was getting two disc, you know, special edition treatments, and it has like three commentaries on it. You know, it was like one of those releases. So I listened to the commentary track with uh, the producer Rob Cohen, and he was talking about how this was like an early example of a movie that was made via pre-sales. So the reason why Schwarzenegger was so important was because uh, foreign, they, foreign markets, they, the foreign markets that they, he was a big star. And that's the reason why Christopher Reeve like got the boot, why Patrick Swayze wasn't up to snuff because Schwarzenegger was the star that was selling overseas. Wow. Um, so, and he was describing how uh, even to entice him, that's why Stephen E. D'Souza, uh, was hired to write it, you know, and he wrote Commando and later wrote Die Hard. Uh, but he wrote it because Schwarzenegger and D'Souza had a good relationship. So Cohen very cunningly hired, you know, Schwarzenegger's friend to try to tempt Schwarzenegger to do the movie. So, it, yeah. It, but yeah, th- that that's the reason. It was a it was a fairly big budget, but it was um, it was all sold uh, through pre-sales and, it's you know, selling distribution. Because it's a big budget and sold through pre-sales, this is a fucking weird movie. This is like, oh, for sure. a, yeah, it's a uh, you know I didn't know what to expect, but as soon as I started watching it, I was like, oh, this is sort of like weirdly and unfairly forgotten '80s 
Arnold movie, because all the other ones, obviously, Predator is a classic. Commandos, you know, people talk about Commando all the time. But but I feel like The Running Man doesn't come up as much. And um, I, I remember liking it when I was a kid, but watching it now, I was like, I thought that the movie, I thought it was pretty great. I had a great time watching it. It's entertaining as hell, for it's sure. Well, I like it better than Commando, easy. Oh, like, there's yeah. way more shit going on in this movie. Than <laughs> but bo- but both mo- movies feature the gratuitous uh, shot of Arnold walking with something extremely heavy slung over his shoulder. Like oh. Commando, Commando, he's carrying a tr- fucking tree at the beginning. Yeah, I, over yeah. his shoulder, and here he's carrying that like steel steel Iron beam. Yeah, yeah, I want to talk about that factory like, <laughs> at length. But uh, I, I guess we should get into the movie part now. Like we're ready. Yeah. To yes. Um, well, you well you want to know why why some of it is so bizarre? Is the movie had five directors like at different points, and they even started shooting with one of them, and uh, he was fired eight days in, and uh, and the guy that's credited um, came in uh, and finished the movie. So they they never really. It was one of those things where Schwarzenegger had a lot of power, so a lot of what he wanted was there. Rob Cohen, the producer, had a lot of power, so he was always like butting heads with the directors and the directors were trying to pull it in weird directions. And uh, I mean, they started with um, uh, George uh, Cosmatos who was coming off of um, uh, Rambo uh, first blood part two at that point. And he had a bunch of weird ideas. He wanted to set the whole thing in a Canadian shopping mall, Jesus, I guess. And so they're like, no, thank you. And fired him off of that. And then they, they went through a bunch of directors. They almost made it with, Oh God! What's the name of the guy that did um, Under Siege? Um, Andrew Davis. Like that's the one. That's the guy who was starting shooting, and uh, uh, but apparently eight days in, they were already four days behind schedule. So uh, he got fired, and then uh, wow. the yeah, and then the uh, the guy who came in to shoot it, uh, Paul Michael Glasser. Um, uh, he was he was a shooter. He worked a lot in TV. Um, and I guess impressed everybody with his work on Miami vice. That's what got him the job. Um, and he came in and essentially just got everything back on track and, and shot the hell out of it. Yeah. So. Schwarzenegger talked some shit after the fact, because he said that, you know, Glazer shot it like a TV show, but mm. shouldn't it have been, you know, like, of course that's how you fucking shoot this thing. Like you're not going to, he, he was saying like it, it, uh, uh, the way you shot it, like lost all the deeper themes of the script. Like, no, absolutely not. This should be shot like a primetime television series. I think it, I think he nailed it. I think Schwarzenegger is wrong. Oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, Because I think, you know, I think because the movie, you know, you, you guys were saying, or Eric, you were saying that obviously the, the movie and the book are very, very different things, very, very different tones, but in a way, you know, if you're adapting that movie, it would have to be a way bigger budget. Here, they it's kind of ingenious that it's a game show and sets so that you can sort of change the environment, but it can still look like sets and that's fine. But I think what the it doesn't get into the environmentalism, but the wealth disparity stuff and the, you know, celebrity worship and our love of reality shows and stuff, that stuff is still intact. So I think in spirit, this is a pretty decent adaptation of the movie, of the book. And what it does is instead of making it very gritty and hard, it makes it sort of big and campy and weird and fun. It's just a different flavor, but it's sort of about totally. the same things. 
Yeah, it's more of a WWE or, you know, at the time, WWF approach, which I liked yeah. and it's predated yeah. American Gladiators. And a matter of fact, I think Cohen in the commentary mentioned he wanted to sue the shit out of the producers because they essentially just ripped off everything from Running Man. The look of everybody like the games are very American Gladiators-esque. Um, but it, I, I agree with you that in many ways that they do a better job with understanding the... Um, the the television show aspect of it because in the book they just give him a camera and he has to send in clips you know every two times a day right uh, of him talk like selfies of him in a room talking where here everything that he that the people in the game do is on television there's cameras everywhere so you know in the book he's just running around america wherever as far as he can go you know so like what what are people watching how are people you know keeping up with with the sport of it you know so that that thing was kind of weirdly not thought out in the book but like done really well in the movie yeah and i think you know it does obviously it's got some great lines like get me the justice department entertainment division no get me the yes. president <laughs> agent that's so good yeah. i'm your court appointed your... theatrical agent like these are great yep. lines yeah, no, in many ways the run the running man is kind of like the B side to Robocop, right? It's not it's not nearly it doesn't reach the same heights, the same level of satire, the no. same like genius of satire, but they're going for a very similar thing. I mean, with a lot of the yeah. commercials, the Jesse uh the Body Ventura like, you know, workout commercial and yeah. and all that, they're they're definitely, you know, trying to pull from that same like kind of darkly comic. <laughs> they're playing where... in the same swimming pool. Yeah. For for years, I thought that this was directed by Verhoeven, just because they do explore some of the same things, and they have that, uh, like you were saying, the same uh, same targets. They're satirical, you know. Um, I did one thing I did want to talk about in the book that we didn't get to is Stephen King does this thing, or Richard Bachman does this thing, where like everything is a new word, so like. Kill ball, he mentions once instead of bus, it's new <laughs> yeah. bus. It's like old bucks and new dollars. Like it's just uh-huh. felt like too much future words. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything doesn't have to have a new name. Like if we like get like pneumatic buses, I think we're still going to be calling them buses. I don't think we're going <laughs> to yep. change the name of it. That's like uh, that's like glam. at the end of eleven twenty two sixty three. And the guy, like, comes back through the time portal. He's, like, he's gone through a fucking 700-page adventure or something at that point to, like, stop the JFK assassination. He goes back in time to the, the, to the, to the point where it's, it's sort of, like, determining whether or not he was successful. And there's a guy that's, like, well, I can offer you so, so many future bucks or something. Some bullshit like that. <laughs> yeah. My favorite like, why would it be called future bucks? Like, yeah. you live in the fucking present. Yeah, yeah, the drug from uh, Minority Report, Narrowin, that's my favorite. <laughs> yep. But this movie, you know, I thought it had a, it had a, obviously there's a lot of like that quippy stuff, you know, that I'm not a fan of. Like, here's your Sub-Zero, now Plane Zero. <laughs> to me, that's like, isn't that higher? Like, Sub-Zero is below yes, zero. Exactly. So yes. Yes. Made him zero, you've made him like better. Yeah, you went up. You didn't go down. Like, yeah, they guys, didn't, he, he didn't really think that one. one. He doesn't like raise up to zero. No, 
well, and a lot of his quips here aren't as, you know, like, like in Predator, he's, you know, throws the knife into the guy and he sticks to the wall and he goes stick around, you know, or, or, you know, and I think in Commando, <laughs> he breaks a dude's neck and he's like, don't wake my friend. He's dead, tired. Like, like those, those are at least like, okay, bam, they, they're punchy. They hit. But here he's like, you know, don't, I'm going to make you eat that contract, but I hope you leave enough room in my stomach because I'm going to punch through your stomach and break your goddamn <laughs> spine. It's like you know, all these convoluted, like, like, okay you're like rolling with it going i get what you're going for and yeah, yeah, yeah not quite getting there they brought in somebody I, for punch up at some they point they certainly did bring in somebody for punch up but like you know when he cuts up buzzsaw and he says oh he had to split he had to split that's that's you know that's that, pretty that, classic that's like classic yeah or like when he strangles sub-zero and he's like he was a real pain in the neck like yep that's like classic arnold but what i found yeah. here is I think Arnold becomes a better actor later. Like in this movie, I don't think he's uh, a lot of these lines or maybe he's not fully engaged or something. It's just, to me, not one of his best performances. That's interesting you say that because I was, when I was watching it last night, I felt like this is a surprisingly solid performance for him at this point in his career. Like I I thought it it was better than I remembered it. I got kind of a, uh, the rock vibe from it. It starts off really ro- uh, rocky, though, because like it, he has all that emotional stuff to do right at the beginning where he's like not firing on the crowds. Oh, and it just yeah. sounds like he's reading off of cue cards. And they sure. have to revisit that they, scene over and they, over. The, yeah, they, they are all innocent. Well, they don't Eric, have any weapons. If you came <laughs> up in the Los Angeles Police Department as an Austri- Austrian bodybuilder and had to yep. fight tooth and nail to be a chopper pilot, I think mm-hmm. you would sound a little robotic, too. Just you know, yeah, going he through certainly the certainly does. That's why he's greatest. All the also, I can't believe we didn't talk about. He says, "I'll be back in it," and they make yeah. a real meal out of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's not good. No, no, no not it, this best. might. I don't this think. Is... I don't think if like if you're if you're iconic like that, I don't think you should be referencing your other movies in other movies no, you know totally what i'm saying not. like it's, it's blurring the line in a way that's confusing to me as both a fan and a viewer i don't like it it's yeah, very are they quoting the movie terminator that was like for them you know 50 years <laughs> yeah, in the exactly. past exactly yeah. exactly yeah hey stephen king has a shared universe allow arnold schwarzenegger he has a shared cinematic universe so yeah okay i i did I not know. like i never liked that stuff i think the big question with watching uh, The Running Man in 2020 is whether or not you believe The Running Man could happen now. Um, and and so I'm curious to ask you guys if you think, A, could it happen? And B, if, if it had to happen, is there a version of it you would be okay with? Uh, could it happen? No. But I will say we are the closest we've ever been. To it happening like i don't think at any point in our history in modern history have we been as close as we are like we're certainly seeing in the conversation we're weighing like the greater good versus the deaths of a few right like that's something that's truly in the conversation right now i mean you guys are in texas right like that's 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 a place where this conversation is is very very it's just very present so i think we're closer than we are but i don't think we're quite there yet um, is there a version of it that I would it, like? But do, but, <laughs> but do you think it could happen? 
not today, but but I could see <laughs> no, it. Let's, I could see I, it I happening. Think, yes, I could see it happening. Yeah. I, in I the think next ten years, you're very optimistic. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't w- with this president and the way his uh, following will just accept anything that he says. If he came out tomorrow and said, you know listen, they're all going to be bad people. They're all people on death row. We have to let them out of prison anyway because of coronavirus or because of whatever. It's like, we're going to do this. You know, we're, it's going to benefit, you know, charities. I think that there would be huge outrage and in uh, a, a huge amount of support from his supporters. He would pitch it. it as that we are spending money to keep these people in prison and they will die there anyway. So why not put them to work for us? That's what the pitch would be. I think you're right. I was wrong. You're, you've convinced me very quickly. <laughs> I just needed a slight nudge. Yeah, okay. I mean, and, definitely. We're in a position where he's literally saying, you know, these people don't aren't don't support me anyway. So who cares? So we're very close to it. Well, I mean, here's the thing: like, would the the real like moral question is if this show and that version happened? Obviously, we'd be you know all the people in this conversation would be crazy against it. But then it's on. Do you watch it? Like, do you feel the pull to actually watch it? You know, well, if, if there was like not, a televised thing? I do not want to watch anything that like I, you know, I go on Reddit a lot. And every now and then there'll be something that's like, oh, look at this accident. I never mm. want to look at that. I yeah. never want to look at real death. Like when there are videos going around of like cops being violent against somebody, mm. like I, I just don't watch it or you know, you and I were talking about that um, the the Shutter series. Mm. Uh, the reason the I haven't, films. No. Oh, yeah, the reason I haven't watched it is because I do not want to see that Twilight Zone clip. That that show sounds exactly up my alley. I like all those movies. I'm, a, you know, I'm a big fan of horror movies and genre stuff. But for that, I, I I'm I, I won't be able to watch it. I don't want to see real death or real people getting really hurt. Well, yeah. to be fair. Uh, you could watch that entire series except for that, like, 30 seconds. But you're right. It does land like a fucking uppercut because my wife and I, watched, we, like, mainlined the whole series and we got to that episode. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, the Twilight Zone movie. Um, I'll go to the bat. I'll, I'll go to bat for that movie all day. I think and, the Joe Dante segment is great. <clears throat> and so is the, um, the, the Gremlin. Yeah. Most of that, <laughs> most of that movie is, is outstanding. But uh, I, I I did not expect to see the actual footage. And so we were watching it. And then that moment happened. And my wife uh, shrieked at full volume, uh, which is an appropriate response. And I almost like stood up off the couch. Like I did not really expect to see that. Uh, I, I too am, am troubled by seeing actual violence. Uh, uh in per- not in person, but like on video, you know, there was a video going around today of a guy that, that, that got shot in his neighborhood. Yeah. I saw and, that, but I was like, I'm not going to look at it. No. Well, I saw that going around. It's, it's awful every time, you know, um, sometimes you have a choice to see it. Sometimes it just like pops up, you know, this one, I, I made the choice to watch it, but didn't really think it would be as brutal as it was despite the fact that I've lived online for 10 fucking years. So I'm an idiot anyway, but uh, I don't like to see it, but I, I do wonder if in the darker corners of my personality, if there is a version of that 
a, a version of the running man that I would watch. Like for instance, if the running man were entirely uh, populated by uh, contestants who were rapists, would I watch it? You know, I, I had a girlfriend that was raped uh, at one point and I won't watch movies that, um, that I feel like glamorize rape or, uh, you know, you can tell when you're watching a movie and it's sort of using it for period interests. And, uh, it, the whole thing has just made me so angry about that, that element of filmmaking that if I hear about that ahead of time, I won't watch the movie. I didn't watch revenge for many years because of that. And then eventually I did watch, watch revenge and, and people were right. You know, that's, that's one way to do it. That is not, uh, exploitative. So if you gave me the opportunity to watch some rapists get mowed down by, uh, say a fat man who is singing opera and shooting lasers. Like, would I watch <laughs> that? I would probably watch that. Like, it's it's. But it would still affect you emotionally the same as if it's someone who's a who's just innocent and running down the street getting murdered. Like, I don't think your emotional reaction to it. I I don't think the way that it would fuck you up would be any different. You're still seeing a human body. Uh, being whatever decimated, and I think that would still affect you. I think, I think if you, I think you would still regret it. Maybe, but I would watch it at least once. You know, well, and, and maybe I would come to that conclusion. But I think, like, honest, like if we're being honest, I think I would. I think I would probably tune into that, which is probably a deficiency in my own personality. That's that's something I need to worry about, but. I've been talking too much. Like, Eric, would you watch this shit? Yes or no? I, I have to admit I'd be curious. Um, I don't know if I would be a full-throated fan, but there is something that I'm interested in in finding the line because you watch a lot of, like, the, these crazy... Well, these crazy, like, Japanese shows where they, like, put fucking scorpions and shit and, you know, your head in a jar with a scorpion and, you know, like, all, all that kind of stuff. There are these shows where you watch people get hurt for fun. Right. Um, I mean the, the jackass stuff, you know, it, it, it's more lighthearted, but you watch that knowing people are going to, you know, get hurt stapling, you know, their, their nuts to a table or something. You know what I mean? It's like they're at what point does pain and entertainment, you know, part ways. And, and that, that's a really fascinating line for me. I mean, a lot of people watch sports for that reason. You know, I think a lot of people watch boxing, um, and MMA stuff, you know, expecting the you know to see blood and expecting to see people you know get real hurt uh, but i don't think m most people if you talk to would say okay you know this is thunderdome <laughs> you know two two men enter one man leaves like if if that would people would admit that that's what they want to see but there there is something interesting out there about you know pain uh and suffering as entertainment um you know and in most of the reality shows you know use it as emotional pain and entertainment that's why there's all these relationship shows and stuff yeah. you know where it's all about breaking hearts and and stabbing people in the back figuratively you know but i don't think it's all that far of a leap you know to make it literal no you know, it's to, to not. be perfectly fair yeah i i i don't i don't want not to sound like you know i like a like overly noble or anything but but i don't watch i do not watch those reality shows the reality shows i watch are like Great British Bake Off. It's basically all cooking shows, right? I watch all cooking shows. Those are the reality shows I watch. 
I can never watch boxing or UFC. Like I have a lot of friends who will like have these nights, not anymore, but they'd be like, Hey, come over. We're going to watch boxing. And whenever I've seen it, I've regretted it. You know, uh, I, I just don't like, and those Japanese shows you're saying they're, those, the sound of that does not appeal to me, like fear factor doesn't appeal to me. But the difference, I think, would be that there's an assumption that these people are on some level safe, right? Like they may get hurt and some people might want to watch that, but that there's a ceiling to how hurt they can get. And it's a it's an acceptable ceiling, right? With something like this, I don't, I would not. I think I don't doubt that a lot of people would tune in. I don't doubt that it could be very successful because I do think people can get desensitized to this stuff very, very easily. But I, I saw somebody get shot at the age of, I was like 16 or 17, I saw somebody get shot. And how much it fucked me up and how much it still fucks me up when I think about it, it it's not something that I'm interested in seeing again in any kind of way. The idea of an acceptable ceiling is interesting to me because yeah, where where is that line? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's you know it's different for everybody, you know. But you can then, really change it. You can you can have people. You can like raise that ceiling. So if there's a show like Fear Factor, for instance, right? You you have it and you're like nobody's gonna get hurt. Then you can be like someone's gonna get slightly hurt. It's gonna hurt, but it's not gonna be blood. Okay, yeah. they're gonna be blood. They're going to break a bone, but nothing more. I think you could really train people over the course of not even that long to really have that acceptable ceiling of pain and violence and suffering. You can like raise it very quickly, I think. Yeah. This is a very serious conversation for a, <laughs> for, for a movie with a, a fat man, you know, singing opera in a, in a light up Tron outfit. I um, mean, really, really. Uh, totally. a, a movie that also has. has and Mick Fleetwood in old age makeup as a resistance leader yeah, with his I mean, weasel Zappa as his right-hand man. How do you not discuss it? I mean, it, how do you not discuss it right now where it, yeah. it feels like it, it, to me, it feels like we're on the verge of the running man at all times, you know? Well, that's what every I thought was great about the movie. Like, yeah. It's like, it's, yeah. it's like so campy and over the top and bizarre. And, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the the guy who sings opera, uh, what's his name, Dynamo, and all Dynamo. this stuff. It's so much crazy stuff. But what it's really about at its core, and I think what the movie does a good job of being about, is stuff that's very important stuff that's going on right now. It's impressive. Yeah, I mean, people have like screen capped the opening crawl to this movie. Um, you know that that talks about in the year 2017. You know the stock markets are crashing and the the world's on the brink of collapse, and that people are screen capping it, going, "Holy shit, this is a this is actually happening. We're actually entering into the the Running Man." Wow, I didn't I see that. I, uh, what was um, Jesse Ventura's character's name? Like. Like uh, Captain, Captain, not Captain Freedom. America. Captain Freedom. Captain Freedom. Freedom. I um. Yeah. Uh, I love when the when they suit him up. There's a there's a part where they're like fucking get Captain Freedom in there. So they they like put him in in wardrobe and he comes out and he's wearing what looks like like if a power <laughs> uh, like if a Nintendo Power Glove were a backpack. That's what it looked like. <laughs> and um, it's all like rickety and sort of. It's quite clearly plastic this thing that he's wearing. Um, and when you said that, I was just thinking about like, well, the production values would be 
way better than that. Like they would never let <laughs> Captain Freedom walk out in a thing like that. No, but they really do. Like that scene really works because it does look really goofy. Like I think that that's good. Like the props people did a good job of making him seem ridiculous wearing that thing. Yeah. Well, and it's also strangely smart because he set up from the beginning is kind of this is the best guy, the best hunter that's ever been, right? Mm-hmm. And so you expect it to end in a a clash, you know, a big uh, clash with Schwarzenegger, and, and it, <laughs> you know, we don't really get that, you know, that that moment. He, he right, so it's like it, we, I guess, we get the fake out, you know, whenever they they use the best, most amazing face replacement technology <laughs> in the world to con- convince everybody that uh, that uh, Ben Richards is dead. Um, which, by the way, is like uh, again, prescient. It's a deep fake. They they came up with deep faking there. Yeah, that shit is scary as fuck, dude. I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of really like interesting, you know, kind of predicting predict predictions predictions that came out of this uh, uh, this movie that is so sadly like not far off from where we are now. Yeah, uh, especially with you know, in the early scenes, Captain Freedom as portrayed by former senator, uh, or excuse me, former governor Jesse Ventura. Uh, is only Jesse Virginia. the Body Ventura, please use his full name. Yes, yes. Uh, his his Christian name, Jesse the Body Ventura, uh, is only presented in a turquoise blazer with a white turtleneck, which, <laughs> as as I think we all know, is the height of masculinity and power. No. <laughs> uh, well, so, somebody else that I want to talk about before we wrap this up is, to me, the MVP of the movie, and that's Richard Dawson. Oh, um, fuck. I, I that is the most genius casting for this role Agreed. ever. Um, if people are, uh, you know, too young to understand and never watch Game Show Network, like Richard Dawson was a very famous, um, like game show and like variety show host and participant. Like he, he was on, you know, he was always a guest on Match Game, and and he hosted the Family Feud, and was like very famous for for creepily kissing every girl that was on the show. <laughs> I was going to say, famous for putting his mouth on various women of all ages. That's and that was, guy. Wow. And he, he kissed everybody. Wait, and wait, like, wait, 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 wait. You didn't realize that was the same guy? No, I just realized it now. I didn't know yeah. that was the same guy. Holy yeah. shit. Because I was going <laughs> to say, like, who is the guy? Like, they would, uh, like, it would have to be Drew Carey now, right? Or like a Ryan Seacrest. The Ryan or, Seacrest you know, something. was the first oh, guy. Oh, yeah, Seacrest. Yeah. yeah Ryan yeah. Seacrest. Probably oh, not or they Ryan can, they get... Probably Ryan Seacrest. Yeah. Oh, or uh, Steve Harvey. <laughs> you can yeah. do Steve Harvey. I, you know, when I used to wait tables in a place that was near where Steve Harvey lived and he used to come in all the time, total dick. So he'd be perfect. But huge suits, like David Byrne <laughs> yeah. style suits. And you got to respect that. So. Yeah, no, but like he is, it's such a great idea to cast, you know, this guy who's known as like America's game show host. I mean, Alex Trebek would be the, you know, the like the the nice guy, you know, version of this. But it's like that, that is back then. That's what he he was. He was known for it. And so you cast him as this, you know, overbearing personality. Um, And they changed it from the book and the book Killian was the producer of the show and also like a giant black guy, you know, he describes him a lot more like John Coffey later, you know, I bet he describes Um, him very sensitively. Yeah. And he's, uh, uh, but here, like it, it, he is so perfect. He fits the tone perfectly. He's like acts his ass off. Like he does 
great in the movie. He's a great, he turns in a great performance, super fun to watch. Like I remember even as a kid, like I walked away going, that guy's funny. Like I, I really like that guy. Um, and like watching now it's like, this is to me, like a huge amount of the success of the movie is, is on his um, shoulders. Yeah. He's like totally, totally pitch perfect in that role because you really have to, uh, what's, what's great about this movie, right. Is that somebody suddenly talking about, this competition and then also going like really serious and sad when things don't go right. Like, and he balances that really well. It's a very, it's a tough thing to do to have that sort of smarmy game show charisma and switch to like, um, fake sincerity, you know, that that's hard to do. He really does it. And it's like shown like underlined in one scene fairly early on, whenever he's walking into the building and the janitor like almost trips him and yeah. he was just like, Oh, don't worry about it. what's your name. Like, Oh yeah, don't, I mean, it's fine. And the guy's like, Oh, thank God. And, and like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And he's so nice and humble. Like this is a sweet old guy. And, and he gets off. He's like, you know, that guy's fi- fucking fired. You know, yeah. it's like, it, it's a very obvious like eighties, you know, villain move, but like he, he pulls the switch very it's well. A great by, all bad accounts, guy. by all accounts, Dawson was like an asshole. You know, people came out after this movie and were like, yeah, that's exactly what it was like working for that dude. <laughs> I don't doubt it. You know, you know, uh, he kissed my mom on on the mouth. He might be my dad. I don't know. But um, uh, but yeah, no, she she went to a taping of one of the shows he was hosting. And like afterwards, he was hosting like a Q&A and like and would shake hands with everybody. And it wasn't a thing he just did on TV. Every girl he met, whether she was, you know, three years old or 90, like it was a, it was a mouth kiss and it was. And so, you know, my mom fell in that three to 90 year old range. So. And how did you feel about it? Uh, she thought it was, she was super excited about it because she was like, Oh, I see this guy kiss people on TV all the time. So like, it, it I think she must've been in her late teens or something when she, wow. when she met him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. she she very happily told it was excitedly told me that story once. So, um, one thing I remember as a kid hating about this movie, and I was young enough that so this movie came out. I would have been nine years old, and I saw it right as it came out. I was young enough that not everything made sense to me, and so in the movie they really set up that they're gonna do face replacement and and have this battle between uh, Captain Freedom and Ben Richards, right? Mm. I must have missed that because when I was watching, I remember, I told you this, Eric, when we first talked about be, this being the movie, I remember specifically the scene when he gets impaled on all those spikes, when Arnold right. gets impaled <laughs> on all those spikes. And I remember yeah. my reaction being, I remember being so upset. I just, because he's my favorite hero. You know, it was him and Stallone, like the, like everybody else. Those were the guys. And it upset me so much. And when he was alive again, I was very thankful, but I was also very pissed off at the movie for lying to me. <laughs> Fake you out. Yeah, even though now, you know, I thought that they'd set it up like a fake out in the movie, but but they really tell you what's happening. Like they, yeah. you don't just see that and then realize, oh, the real Stallone is alive. That's not what happens. They tell you what they're going to do and then they do it. Well, when you saw it as a kid, you probably didn't absorb, you know, the the – the technical nuance of what Richard Dawson and his team were presenting. You right. know what I mean? Right. What so. I did react to when I was a kid was, which I can now label because I've seen it as a grown up now. I did not like the cynicism of the movie. This is obviously a very cynical view of humanity. And I remember 
as a kid, this movie made me feel weird and bad and I didn't like it. And it wasn't until now when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, I did not like how cynical it was about, about civilization in general. It's cynical, but in the same way that RoboCop's cynical. It's actually not as cynical as it probably should be, you know, now that I look at, you know, the world around me. Like, I, I don't think we live in an era now where, uh, you know, where they the resistance can, you know, break in and, and, ta- and air no. this footage and it making a difference. And it making anybody. a difference. That's right. You know, I just watched um, All the President's Men again, and mm. I was like, oh, if this happened today, <laughs> I don't think anybody would care. Yeah, have you seen a face in the crowd? No, 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 I have not. Okay, I won't. I won't uh, spoil the movie. It's an in- in very uh, incredible movie. It's um, I think it's Elia Kazan. It's all about a, a guy who's kind of this charming, like ends up being kind of a monster, but he becomes he uses his charm to become a TV personality. And this is like late late fifties, you know, right when TV is first becoming a thing. He's a very Trump like figure, but uh, you know, there, there's something that happens in, in the last act of the movie that if it happened to Trump wouldn't make a, a, a damn bit of difference. And, and it makes all the difference in the world to this character. And yeah, I, I a face in the crowd, I'll, a face I'll in the crowd. The other yeah, one I want to check out um, is uh, the dead zone. I haven't, I haven't seen that. You haven't seen hear, it? I mean, I haven't Ooh. seen it since I, I don't remember anything about it. I remember Snatches. It's, it's the so same good. way that I saw Running Man, you know, it was a long time ago. But it feels yeah. like it's, uh, uh, seems like an appropriate movie to watch right now. It plays completely different in 2020. Yep. No, and that very similarly, if if what happens at the end of that story happened with Trump, I don't think it affects his, his uh, polling moves, <laughs> you know? You know what other movie I just was rewatching with Emily the other night? It was just like late at night. We didn't want to go to sleep. So we were like, let's just watch this again. A movie I've seen many, 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 many times plays so differently right now. Debbie is, does Dallas. Is Debbie does Dallas. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the so different era, it just feels <laughs> just the outfits are totally crazy. Yeah. Dallas is not doing Debbie. Debbie is doing Dallas. She has the agency. That's right. (laughs) That movie does not pass the Bechdel test, by the way. (laughs) No, it probably doesn't. So for real, what's the movie? The Dark Knight. The idea of a government or uh, somebody within the government who is sort of breaking the rules a little bit for the greater good, uh, overstepping boundaries a little bit, uh, working outside the system a little bit, uh, right. It feels it plays very very different now that you realize now that our government is uh, not you know it's not a government you can trust to do the right thing. The idea of somebody like for the government sort of stepping outside and doing its dirty work yeah. feels very very different. Yeah, well, yeah, and, right. and the whole uh, the bank of like we're going to spy on everybody to find the oh, right the right guy. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But isn't Christopher Nolan a, a a noted conservative? I I know he dresses conservatively. I don't know about his politics. I don't know how conservative those scarves are. I think there's you know, that's a little art student for. <laughs> I think uh, you're thinking Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now I'm thinking of Nolan. Like uh, my understanding of Nolan is that he's a he's a conservative. Um, yeah, this is something be. we want to bring up on the very first episode. <laughs> yes. Right. You know, because Nolan fans are notoriously easygoing about this sort of thing. <laughs> yes. That's always been my understanding. And, and Batman fans, for that matter. Oh, um, yeah. They're fucking oh, love them. <laughs> love them. Uh, well, something I did want to bring up um, 
is I mentioned that I pulled out my old uh, uh, Running Man Blu-ray or not Blu-ray DVD set uh, to watch this. And I noticed something instantly on the back when I, you know, flipped it over the special features, they listed a documentary called lockdown on main street and get this. It's, it's called it. (laughs) I think this uh, DVD came out in 2003 and it's, it's a documentary about the current state of privacy and criminal issues in a post nine 11 society. Wow. And I'm like, and I looked at it and I did a double take going, on the running man and, <laughs> and, and and i'm like huh and i'm thinking in my head i'm like what could this documentary be like is it like the the cast and crew like now like looking back about like how you know orwellian you know all the jokey orwellian stuff we made a goofy movie about it but now you know post 9 11 it's kind of come to be and it's not at all it is just a straight up uh no, no way uh, associated with the running man whatsoever document 25 minute long documentary uh, with legal experts and attorneys talking about the Patriot Act and how it is uh, it's a, an evil and will uh, like dissolve our democracy. And that is a, a, a legit bonus feature on the <laughs> running man DVD. Yeah, man, I'm telling you the movie holds up. What it's about is still is still what we're about. It's uh, I like, I, you know, you brought up Robocop. Obviously, Robocop is a miracle, right? Robocop is a stone cold classic beginning to end perfect movie. It's going for so many different things, nails all of them like that doesn't happen. The Running Man, however, is a movie that's a lot goofier, has a lot of dumb, goofy lines in it, but really, it is still very incisive about the things that it's about. It's 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 impressive. Yeah, yeah it would make a great much, double how feature. How much of that goofiness are we like attributing to the fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger is in it? If it well, was Mel Gibson, if it was Mel Gibson, the exact same movie. Well, that's probably a bad example. Dynamo singing opera. <laughs> but I think that that's all sort of knowing you know like these uh i think it knows it's goofy i mean it for sure does i mean you already mentioned you know i'm your court appointed you know entertainment lawyer or whatever it's like yeah justice we already touched on this earlier but the justice department having an entertainment division is the funniest fucking line (laughs) in the movie to me like that it's so good it definitely has its tongue in cheek and knows what it's it's being um uh, you know, maybe we'll see if we can uh, wrangle Stephen E. D'Souza to come on and talk about about it at some point. And I know he's he's uh, been very open about talking about his stuff. We might get Richard Bachman. You don't know. Yeah, we could. We could dig that old bastard up. He probably does. <laughs> oh yeah, he killed him, right? He, he, well, he's yeah, he was dead, and then he came back and published two more novels. So <laughs> yeah, that's so. that's two more novels than I've published, and I've been alive the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you got to get on it, Kumail. Damn, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, I think this might be a good place to wrap up. Where we've uh, held you long enough. Um, is there anything that you want to uh, to plug? This should be out next week, so you should have have plenty of lead time for Lovebirds if you wanted oh, to great. tell people yeah. why they so should Love, watch that. Lovebirds is coming out. Lovebirds is a movie with me and Issa Rae, uh, who is amazing. Her show on uh, HBO, Insecure, is absolutely fantastic. Directed by Michael Showalter, who's directed a bunch of great stuff. The Baxter, he's one of the brains behind Wet Hot American Summer, but he also directed a movie that uh, Emily and I did called The Big Sick that came out a few years ago. But The Lovebirds is going to be out. (laughs) The Lovebirds is out on Netflix May 22nd. And then the podcast that Emily and I do is called Staying In with Emily and Kumail. And it's just us, sort of both of us, uh, 
giving you tips on how to get through quarantine times. Really what it becomes is me, it's like a therapy session because Emily, you know, was a trained therapist and I'm just like talking about how I feel the world is falling apart and her making me feel better about it. But it's a, it's a light podcast. It's a fun listen. It's not like a heavy podcast. To be fair mm-hmm. to yourself though, you are very ripped now. That is correct. I, so I, I continue to be... for nothing. I'm just saying. Like you can move some I'll pickles. say this. Every now and then I'll see someone tweet and be like, oh, my God, Kumail, he must have lost it. He can't do anything. And I kind of want to tweet another picture and be like, don't worry about me, guys. <laughs> I am working hard <laughs> over here. Well, and obviously you're getting in shape. Um, the, all the MCU shit aside, you're getting in shape so you could star in the uh, the new remake of The Running Man. Oh, I Total would love to do that. <laughs> Well, there you go. You heard it here first. If it happens, we want uh, like a special thanks. Yes, if it happens, you will get a special thanks, I promise. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kumail. This has uh, been a lot of fun. Yes, I really appreciate you, you coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you.